0: This is Why Change, the podcast for a creative generation. We are your hosts. I'm Jeff. Hola, hola. Soy Carla. It's Rachel here. What's good, y'all? I'm Ashraf.
1: And I'm Madeline.
0: Why Change is a podcast that brings listeners around the globe to learn how artists, educators, and cultural practitioners can change the world one community at a time. We believe that young people are our world's greatest asset and recognize that we, as the adults who are dedicated to their creative development, have work to do so they can thrive. Listeners are invited each week to learn and laugh while envisioning new creative futures through the question, why change? All right, let's get started. Hi all, Jeff here. I'm coming to you solo today. And I'll be honest, I'm coming to you both sad and angry. As a warning to our listeners, today's topic touches on gun violence and school safety. In the last few weeks, the United States and the world has witnessed the preventable pandemic of gun violence across this country. Dominating our news cycles and community conversations was the racially motivated murder of Black people at the hands of an 18-year-old white gunman at a grocery store in Buffalo, New York. He has since been charged with domestic terrorism motivated by hate and 10 counts of first-degree murder. Then we witnessed another 18-year-old gunman in Uvalde, Texas who entered Robb Elementary School with a legally purchased military-style assault rifle and murdered 19 elementary school students and two teachers, injuring 17 more. And in the last 24 hours, between recording today's interview and right now recording this introduction, we have learned of another shooting, this time killing four people in a Tulsa, Oklahoma hospital. This is horrifically sad. And you know what? It makes me angry too because over the last two years, we have lived through a number of pandemics. And you've heard me talk about these before, but this one, this one is entirely preventable. In our work at the intersection of arts and culture, education, and social change, we often hear about the pandemics or other social and civil dialogues which impact our communities. In fact, the research that I just cited found that between 2020 and 2021, arts and cultural education programs were impacted not only by the COVID-19 global health crisis, but also by the growing economic inequality, racial violence, political divisiveness, and the climate crisis too. And over time, as I personally reflect, from the time I was about 10 years old in middle school, we've been grappling with gun violence. That was the shooting at Columbine High School. According to the Washington Post, According to the Washington Post, since the time of Columbine, there have been 331 school shootings. You might also note that only 1% of gun violence in the United States is a result of a mass shooting. These have affected over 311,000 children and have killed almost 200. This is unacceptable. It's preventable and something no one should experience. In our work, we often talk about human rights and the right of every child to creatively develop, express themselves and participate in their cultural heritage. Right up there though, with those rights, is the right to safely shop at a grocery store, attend school and go to a hospital. One of our very first interviews in the foundational research of Creative Generation was with Matt Deitch, one of the youth leaders from A March for Our Lives the student movement born out of the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, back in 2018. We published this conversation on our blog in October, 2019. In that conversation, and again, when Matt and I both spoke on a panel at Connecticut's Bruce Museum in September, 2021, Matt reminded me that when young people experience a trauma, especially one that is preventable, that the arts and youth's inherent creativity proved to be an outlet not only for elevating their voices, but to hold adults accountable and together to drive the change our communities, our nation, and the world need to see. What we were communicating was truth with a capital T. As an artist, it became easier to elevate that truth. We use art to bridge gaps between education and empathy. We use art to turn things from political issues to human issues. And moral issues. And you know what? That's exactly right. This is a human issue and a moral one. As an adult myself, an artist, educator, and researcher who supports young creatives, this whole situation makes me sad and a bit frustrated. Since we know that the research is there to support the arts as one of many strategies to overcome and combat this preventable pandemic. The American Art Therapy Association has curated together the research and resources to outline the role of the arts in addressing mental health and well-being, both in terms of the mental health crisis in this country, which undergirds the context of the majority of mass shootings, but also the healing necessary in the wake of the trauma caused by them. In a similar dichotomy, recent research from the Journal of Youth and Adolescence concludes, quote, arts and cultural engagement is a potential strategy for reducing or preventing reportedly antisocial or criminalized behaviors, end quote. This is what, in the 1990s, folks would have discussed as reducing delinquency. In the case of gun violence in the last few weeks, the assailants demonstrated desire to be part of a community, just one that was pretty messed up. Imagine the possibilities if our society embraced numerous pathways to being part of community, perhaps through the arts or others, rather than an increased divisiveness or tribalism. Finally, we have come to see Almost 100 initiatives, programs, partnerships, and organizations emerge in the last decade, all of which support young creatives in the application of their creativity through activism to combat gun violence. Chicago's National Youth Art Movement Against Gun Violence focuses on providing youth all across America and neighborhoods besieged by gun violence with an opportunity to make their mark on the issue, by using their city as a blank canvas to communicate beyond their communities the impact of gun violence on their lives, and to support the growth of emerging artists' careers as artists, activists, and thought leaders. Their work is really amazing, and I put the link in the show notes. But this is just one of many projects. Try to find one in your community and figure out how you can support it. Now, listeners, please don't view my dialogue here today as a statement, and I'm doing air quotes on that word, statement. This is not creative generation screaming into the void with all of the others, offering thoughts and prayers, or demanding action and policy change, and then going about our daily business. We recognize that we have the distinct privilege of our own safety and well-being, the opportunity to connect with others and to learn, and a big megaphone to amplify the good work happening, like those programs I was just talking about. So we've chosen to disrupt our normal schedule of the Why Change podcast, to bring you an interview with Michael Cody from hashtag enough plays to end gun violence. I first met Michael back in 2019, as he got started with this project and have followed and supported its work ever since. The project unifies theater makers, performing arts organizations and theater educators to support teens confronting gun violence by creating new works of theater that spark critical conversations and inspire meaningful action in communities across the country. Their mission is to provide and promote playwriting as a tool for self-expression and social change, harnessing this young generation spirit of activism and providing a platform for America's playwrights of tomorrow to discover and develop their voices today. Michael himself is a Chicago-based theater maker who has worked across the country, specifically focusing his efforts on the development of the next generation of artists. The program, Hashtag Enough, works with teens in grades six through 12 from across the United States to write and submit 10-minute plays, which confront the issue of gun violence. For the past two years, select plays have been published by PlayScripts in a collected anthology, which can be licensed for future productions. And their plays were produced as part of a nationwide reading. Writers also receive payment for their work, memberships and craft training from the dramatist Guild, and feedback from professional playwrights, creating that intergenerational dialogue about the work. Currently, the organization is seeking theater makers and performing artists to contribute to a call to action to create a tidal wave of messages reaching lawmakers through June 11th. Telling them enough is enough. Welcome, Michael, to the Why Change podcast. Thank you so much for being here at what I can only imagine is a very challenging time for you and and your work. Um, Thank you. Thank you very much.
1: No, thank you for having me. I think it's important.
0: Well, so first, uh, I've shared a little bit about you and your work with our listeners, but Talk to us about the moment that we're in and the role of theater and creative young people and the discourse that's happening in the United States about gun violence and school safety. Just set the scene for us a little bit in your work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think to talk about the moment we're in, I want to go back to the moment that I decided to do this project, or at least a version of it, and that was... moments after i learned about parkland so i'm in rehearsal and news about parkland breaks into the rehearsal hall and we have this momentary feeling of just hopelessness you know we're just sitting there we stop what we're doing and then we went back to rehearsal and and the cynic in me really was wondering like what are we doing Like when these things happen, like why isn't there a mechanism or something that we're doing as an industry, as an art form to respond and to help? Um, And so that really began the gears turning as to like what would that be? And initially it was like okay, let's find known playwrights, get them the right stuff, and we'll do it all around the country. And and it became really clear out of Parkland when there was March for Our Lives and Students Demand Action, and you know all these young people just taking to the street and really forcing the conversation not to go away, which is the norm with these incidents, is that we have the conversation for a little bit, there's a lot of uh, fury and a lot of noise, and then something inevitably else comes up and our attention as a country is diverted. Well, these young people are saying, no, no, we are sick of this, we've had enough, And we're going to make sure that we uh, hold people accountable. And it was seeing that happen that really moved me to be like, well, here's also, we talk about marginalized groups in the theater. You know, young people are a marginalized group in the theater. You know, we don't ask young people to write for our main stages. We rarely ask them to be on our main stages. Everything we do with our young in the theater is always second or third hand from our main event so i i i thought that what we needed in this moment really was to amplify these voices this generation that is undergoing a kind of stress and anxiety that i didn't when i was in high school i i remember columbine i was in middle school i certainly did lockdown drills but i never feared my life going to school and soon after that 2019 there was two back-to-back mass shootings El Paso and Dayton and here I was sitting on this like seat of an idea and I just thought it's not going to happen unless I move forward with it it's just not no one else is maybe thinking of this at the moment. And that really began the journey of hashtag enough plays and gun violence. And, you know, from then until now, we've done two cycles of our project, which I I can go more into, like what those are. But we find ourselves in this unique position, having had two cycles of this project and um, being in a kind of rapid response mode, where what do we do when we're in Uh, what do we do in response to an event like this? How can we be helpful and how can we galvanize a theater industry or community to, uh, to join in solidarity? Because, you know, a real cynic might say, well, what is, you know, as theater makers or the theaters, like what, what do you like? How is this your issue? You know, how is this your lane? And it's 100% our lane. I mean, we, we ask people to gather in our facilities and join us to watch stories. And we want those places to remain safe and open and for people to come without fear that they lose their life. We cherish human life. And we, um, every act of theater that we do is a celebration of empathy. And the continued... Uh, continuation of gun violence in our culture is the antithesis of all those things this is a hundred percent our lane um and so so we're in this interesting moment now where you know we started very much um with this focus on young people and now we're really trying to use that as a way of saying be inspired by these young people to um for you adults to speak up alongside them
0: in a more standard way, right? What, How does the cycle work? Yeah. What are these young people doing and creating and how are you all um, facilitating that process?
1: Sure. So the the when we're in a normal cycle for the project, it has um, two main components. Phase one is really a call for submissions. We have a call nationally for writers in sixth to 12th grade. Usually they learn about the project through one of two ways. Um, It might be through a theater teacher or a teaching artist from, from a theater company that's working with uh, a group of educators. And um, more often than not, a a young writer will decide that they're going to submit on their own. Sometimes a teacher will make it into an assignment or provide some guidance that way. But a lot of times it is just um, people finding out about the opportunity and then um, taking upon themselves to do it. And then, we get those submissions, we collect them, and we end up um, out of first year is like 170, second years like 150 plays from across the country. We end up selecting around six to eight of those 10 minute plays to make an evening of theater. And we're picking plays on the quality of the writing for sure, but also in the diversity of the narrative. So that, you know, we're right in the aftermath of two horrific mass shootings um, of different um, sort of with different motives behind it. But, um, but mass shootings only make up 1% of all gun violence in this country. So we want to make sure that when we're picking an evening of collected narratives, we're not just telling the story of that. We're not just talking about school shootings or mass shootings. We're also talking about, um, community violence. We're also talking about um, the way gun violence uh, impacts Black and Brown communities. Um, we've had plays that are about the how intertwined our uh, our history and uh, the founding of our country is with our uh, infatuation with gun culture and the ways we've used guns to take this land in the first place. Um, So we're really trying to find plays that could be in conversation with each other, but also show the nuance of this issue. And that we are, you know, we're talking about gun violence, but what these young people are so smart about, um, which I frankly maybe didn't even see when I started this project, um, is that they talk about gun violence, but really they're talking about root issues, things that are, um, that go un addressed in our country and gun violence ends up being the final result of it. So Mm -hmm. racial inequality, economic inequality, and yes, the um, mass proliferation of guns in our country. Um, So then we say, we get these plays, we package them together into an evening of theater, and then we reach out to theaters of all sizes or community groups and say, we invite you to bring this to your community so that, yes, you perform the plays as part of a stage reading and you join us on uh, a single evening. So we're all doing that together. Um, uh, And you use another portion of that evening to engage in a community dialogue because no two communities are really, they're all dealing with this issue, but are not dealing with it in the same way. So, Chicago has, um, a very different relationship to gun violence than say Santa Barbara, right? So, um, it is inviting those stakeholders, people in the community who you want and need to hear these plays so that the plays become a meeting place where we can talk about the issue and hopefully break down the barriers of a black and white binary conversation that often happens around the issue of gun violence. So that's the overarching, um, Uh, way the the project works, the plays are then subsequently published and then made available in perpetuity as something that can be picked up and produced in the future.
0: So there's a really specific role for both artists and educators in Mm -hmm. the support of and amplification of young creative theater kids. I mean, I myself think we're probably the same age, was a theater Mm. kid. Mm -hmm. I remember Columbine happening as well. I remember doing our first drills I was too in middle school. So talk to me about this role of not only educators or even theater educators that work with young theater makers every day, but the theater community broadly and this role of the institutions and the people within them to not only amplify, but stand right next to these young people who are creating works about change in light of these horrible events that keep happening.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that we have to really acknowledge as an industry is that we have, we represent such a cross section of people from adults to young people. Um, uh, we, we represent such a cross-section uh, generationally. Um, and we have a ton of resources, um, space, uh, individuals who, can, who know how to craft and use narrative in their voice um, that, uh, that I think that the gun violence prevention movement simply doesn't know exists and is open to them. Um, in, this, uh, in this moment. And I think one of the biggest things that I learned through our project, so we call on young people to write short 10-minute plays uh, to confront the issue of gun violence, teens, sixth through uh, 12th grade. Um, one of the biggest things is that we adults, including myself, simply do not fully comprehend what the experience is of a young person these days. And there's no better way of learning that by inviting them to come take our stages, take that space and to um, put it in a, in an experience that humanizes it for us. You know, like imagine, you know, we make these plays available then to theaters all across the country, whether it's a regional theater or a community high school theater, you know, imagine these plays are then embodied by the young people in that community for their parents and their educators and those school administrators. And we invite people to invite policymakers to come to really, you know, experience what it is that those young people uh, are going through. And the thing that I think we've heard again and again through our work is that you have adults just kind of in disbelief that you know, it's not just, it's not just that everyone's impacted directly by gun violence, but that the threat and anxiety of gun violence is um, almost ubiquitous among young people. Certainly, in our first um, batch of plays that happened over the course of the pandemic year, the, the height of the pandemic, all those plays, in a way were really about anxiety and sort of this feeling of inevitability. And then as we did another round of this cycle where we had his submissions and um, the nationwide reading, the theme shifted to grief and this feeling of, um, I don't wanna even say, I don't wanna say resignation, but almost like leaning into that this is inevitably going to happen to me. And what's different is like, we have kids who are back in school. We have kids who are actively back in spaces where they don't feel safe and where every measure that we've put out there to ensure their safety actually just adds to their trauma and their anxiety. So these plays become this real window into their experience in a way that, uh, I don't think many, um, people my age and older had really access to. And, um, and I think that that seeing the gap between what my conception of high school was and their conception experience of high school was really shows you how much um, how urgent this issue is, and really how insidious it is that you have a whole generation of kids who um, are always have this in the back of their head in one way or another. So for purposes
0: of of setting the scene just a little bit for our listeners, tell me about the program. So in two cycles you've mentioned, really, beginning in 2019 and then now it is 2022, you have these almost, and I'm summarizing from listening to you and and what I know about the work um, from a number of conversations and following it online, is these kind of three different components. One, you have this in a learning environment where young theater makers are encouraged and supported in creating works about a central topic through their own perspectives. You have a second where there's a national elevation and amplification of voices. And then a third where really you're distributing out into communities and encouraging dialogues and processing and conversation. And here at Creative Generation, it's interesting because we did a project in 2020 that looked at similar types of projects that Mm. recognized that very core and central to any work like this is the transformative moment between um, artist and young person, where Mm. that Mm -hmm. transfer of artistic skill or knowledge um, or ability occurs and then there's kind of the residual impact into the communities and the conversations that happen with family and friends and institutions. And then there's this intentionality, which you've mentioned uh, so far in the interview about the engagement of decision makers and maybe municipal leaders and um, other folks with power and influence. So I'm wondering at that third level, now that you're two cycles in, what are you starting to see from this process? What impact is it having on the individuals or on those communities uh, that are engaging?
1: Yeah, that's. As, I mean, honestly, honestly, Jeff, that's probably the hardest to to measure, right? Um, where where I think the most noticeable impact ends up being is is in the in the sort of anecdotal. Um, responses I get from young people who are involved. So our, our playwrights our uh, young people are in the cast, you know, from our playwrights, it's this, it's, and the young people, it's this general feeling of, um, I didn't think people were listening. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know people cared, you know, I didn't think that, um, there was a place for my voice or the voice of our peers, you know, at this level on stage. Like most of them never perform maybe a play that's by someone of their same age before, right? So those moments end up being huge. You know, how do how are we making a really big change in those individual moments? In the larger, like, how is it landing on communities and how is it landing on public officials? It's harder to gauge because I think one thing with this being such a large effort nationwide effort everyone is sort of doing their own thing so it's 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 hard to sometimes get my arms wrapped around i do know like with the real repertory in uh portland for instance last year in our first round in 2020 um they invited members of the like violence uh prevention committee for the the mayor's office and they were so um taken by it that they asked to bring it as a special um performance for the committee like not not just replay it but have them come via zoom to do a performance directly for the committee of the plays and then they had a conversation afterwards um i know that like we've had some congress um uh some congress people come to observe the plays and watch them but then you know there's some uh, like really amazing partnerships that have been made. So my favorite story probably out of all of them is South Bend Civic Theater, really late ad in our 2020 program. Um, we really are trying to get to having a read in every state and in Indiana. We just didn't have one. Um, so South Bend Civic Theater signs on pretty last minute and they're going to partner with connect to be the change connect to be the change is a local nonprofit. That's really, focused on, uh, violence intervention. So breaking the cycle of violence. And it's founded by two mothers that, uh, have lost, uh, children due to gun violence. One of them had lost two sons to gun violence. Um, and, uh, so they partner with connectivity to change and then they're working with their young change agents on the plays. And so, they have this amazing experience. They have this meaningful reading. Um, I'm not sure that one was even public. It was kind of maybe more of a um, in-house reading between the two organizations. I didn't even really consider a possibility when we first, when I first started this project, is those kind of partnerships that were really, you know, once we start thinking about year three, it's going to be those kind of partnerships that I think we really. Can encourage and see a big um, a big impact.
0: So, what it actually sounds like to me, at least, is movement building. You know, yeah. you have these transformative interpersonal experiences. You have these institutions that are collaborating, and now you have this groundwork being laid. And I say all of this, and it almost it sounds clinical. So I'm being a little critical of myself, right? But that you know, because of this continuous crisis of gun violence in this country and I say this country because yes I guess there's gun violence around the world but it's a public health crisis in the United States you know that there is an infrastructure being built Mm -hmm. for um, cultural institutions um, educational environments and creatives to engage so If you were an institution, a Mm -hmm. theater um, or any arts and cultural institution, if you're an educator, if you are a young creative who has thoughts and opinions and would like to make work about this topic of gun violence, school safety, and more, how, how do we plug in to this movement that's being built with the hashtag ENOUGH?
1: Yeah. So we are, you know, we're kind of in the middle of two cycles right now. We finished up with the culminating event of our nationwide reading in April of round two. And, uh, you know, uh, post that I was really thinking I was going to take a little bit of time to reflect and a bit of a breather on the project, so that we could come back in really 2023 for like a full another round. But this is, you know, an issue that doesn't rest. Um, and having now met some really amazing people in the gun violence prevention, um, uh, activist movement, you know, I'm, I know I'm feeling just a fraction of the kind of, uh, frustration and, um, uh, what's the word exhaustion that I know that they feel. Um, so right now, I mean, something that we're doing in an immediate response to the the shooting in Texas is that we've got to, um, we've got this initiative that we're doing for the next two weeks through the next March for our lives, which is on June 11th. Um, it's just, it's called hashtag dear lawmakers. And we're appealing to, you know, artists, theater makers first, but then really, you know, all of our extended networks to, uh, compose a message, dear lawmakers, starting with those words, 60 seconds and then bringing it, you know, to your, uh, social media pages via video. And we, you know, we're starting with our young playwrights that have already written on this topic, but are, you know, extending that reach to um, professional playwrights and other theater makers and 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 normal citizens, um, because uh, uh, David Hogg of the March for Our Lives movement, I think, said it really well: is that we, what well, we don't, we don't need just one megaphone in this moment; we need a million megaphones. Saying the same thing. And that same thing is that Congress needs to act. Um, So we're trying to use what small platform we've carved out to make that happen. In addition to that, um, I've started conversations with um, leadership at the theater communications group that really, you know, the gun violence prevention movement um, really could use the support in a major way of the theater industry. That, yes, um, we. Um, should come out with some unified statement of, um, of a need for Congress to act, but then we should also mobilize the large network networks we have of hundreds of theaters, of thousands of theater makers, and millions of audience members to then put that pressure on our elected officials. Um, and that we shouldn't take that power for granted that we have. Um, And that's, you know, those conversations are just starting to happen. But this is like now is the time in which we need to come out in a big way. Because I think, you know, I I get it. When I pitched Hashtag Enough, especially two years ago when it was first started and we didn't have any track record behind us, when I started pitching it, there were people who were on board right away, you know, totally bought into it. But there's a lot of people who... um, who see it as, you know, a partisan issue. And I I a hundred percent disagree with that. I think the fight to end gun violence, to lessen gun violence, is a completely nonpartisan issue. I think it's something that we all can agree on. And it's becoming clearer and clearer that there are common sense gun laws out there that also should be nonpartisan. And in fact, among the majority of Americans who are polled about them, they are. So we, I feel more confident than ever that th- the theater industry and leadership can get behind these common, common sense gun laws and use the, the multiple like literal stages and platforms that we have across the country to make space for the argument that we may have been silent about this in some way in the past, but it's um, unconscionable now to remain so. Well,
0: I just wanna thank you for not only being with me here on this episode of the Why Change podcast, but for your work over the last several years on this tremendously important cause. Um, And to say that all of us at Why Change and all of us uh, in the collective of creative generation um, stand with you, stand beside you and um, are working towards this same goal. Mm. Of not only supporting young creatives as the change makers and leaders of our future, but also to eliminate any and all gun violence in this country and around the world.
1: I just want to say this too, like, you know, I think what I love about doing this project is that this generation, uh, in a way that I wasn't thinking about in high school or in college, you know, really is out there to champion uh, empathy, equity, and justice, and that is what the theater champions too. I mean, we're in complete alignment on those two things. Mm-hmm. And if we let these young people lead the way more, I think you know we're always sort of we're always. It seems like there's always these conversation about how do we get younger people in the younger people in the audience. How do we get them to come see theater? And it's like, well, let's listen to them more. Let's, let's invite them to be a part of what we do more and not just uh, as consumers, but as active participants, as, as part of the voice. Let's bring them to the table. And it, it has felt like this project has been, among other things, you know, a real opportunity slash excuse for theaters that are maybe looking for a way to do that a way to engage their their communities, especially their young people. Um, Because there's so much to be, uh, gosh, there's, there's, I'm really excited by what they do, but I'm also like in awe at their um, persistence to make the world a better place. And I think we just need to find ways to join them.
0: I 100% agree. And no doubt this work is exhausting (laughs) and you are um, putting yourself, you're making a conscious choice to do hard things and to work in a system that is challenging. So as we get to know people just like you all around the world on this Why Change podcast, we're constantly seeking to understand what are, what's keeping people going in this. And so we have a few quick questions to end on today.
1: Are you ready? I am ready.
0: First, who inspires you?
1: Oh, well, the young generation. Definitely. That was a word I was looking for before. They inspire me because I just, uh, uh, yeah, I can't fathom doing what they do. They shouldn't have to, but they're, they're making the change that needs to happen. What keeps you motivated? Um, seeing moments of transformation, seeing, uh, people go past the point that they think they knew that they could achieve and they achieve something they don't, that, that always motivates me, whether it's directing or producing or, or making, getting these young people to write these plays is that seeing them transform and change their definition of themselves. Where are you most grounded? Um, with my wife and my son. How do you stay focused? Um, how do I stay focused? I I focus on who it's going to impact and what I hope that impact to be. And lastly, why change? Um, why change? Because I think, especially in the theater, the theater is a place where we rehearse the future that we want to be a part of. And so um, we have this opportunity as creatives and imaginative people to figure out how things can be better. And I think that's just part of our job is to just increase our capacity for uh, wonder
0: that's a wonderful note to end our conversation on today. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing more about your work and for taking time during this challenging set of circumstances we find ourselves in here in the United States and for doing this good, hard, important work over the last few years. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jeff. I know today, is a heavier topic than most on the Why Change podcast, but sometimes it's okay. I'd like to underscore one thing that Michael said in our conversation. He reflected that some members of the arts and cultural community question his calls for our involvement in the movement against gun violence. His response, which I agree with and will extend a bit, was when we work in the arts and I'll add education, We are celebrating and cultivating humanity. So how are we not involved with addressing one of the leading public health crises of our time? That's our role, this is our fight, and we must take action. I hope that we all leave today's episode with hope though, that among the sadness and anger and frustration and the other emotions I expressed, that there's a movement afoot, one where young creatives are leading the way And the future, which is filled with creative young people bringing forth the possibilities that they imagine and create, well, it's bright. Thank you, and catch you next time. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Why Change, the podcast for a creative generation. If you would like to support this podcast aimed at amplifying the voices of creative changemakers around the world, please consider donating through the link located in the episode's show notes. These show notes contain all sources discussed in the episode. Be sure to follow, like, subscribe, and share the Why Change podcast to make sure you and your networks get episodes delivered directly to you and that you don't miss any stories of creative work happening around the world. If you haven't already, be sure to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Also, we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at info generationorg We would love to hear your ideas, the topics you want to learn about, and why change matters to you. This episode was produced by me, Jeff M. Poulin. Artwork by Bridget Woodbury. Our digital media producer is Daniel Stanley. This podcast theme music is by Distant Cousins. A special thanks to our contributors, co-hosts, and the team at Creative Generation for their support.